As you can tell, our next stop uh, on this journey we're taking this summer is a fence. Uh, actually, not a fence, a fence. We're going to be talking about a fence. And, and this may not be really great travel advice because when you see a fence when you're traveling, you probably should not climb over the fence. Like if you're at the Grand Canyon, probably not advisable to climb over the fence. Or if you're at the zoo, please don't enter the bear enclosure and climb over a fence. But in our lives, we all deal with things where we grow offended and it builds a fence. And we have to be able to get over that offense to be able to move forward in life and in the church and our ministry effectively. An offense can come in a couple of different forms. Some offense is real sin against us. When someone does something that is really wrong, whether they did it intentionally or unintentionally, Other offense is just an annoyance, it's an irritation, and it rubs us the wrong way, makes us feel disrespected, it offends our pride. Either way, we're going to have to learn to get over offense, and we need to get over offense because it causes division in the body of Christ. When there is offense, it's like this fence. It puts up a barrier between us and other people. It cuts us off from them. And when we're not united and cooperating, the church is not going to have all the gifts that are necessary to accomplish its work. We won't be as effective as we would be. And we won't be as effective at demonstrating the love of God to the world as we should be because offense between believers does not communicating, doesn't communicate the reconciling love of God, how he brings us to himself and overcomes our sin and offense against him. Offense is painful and harmful. It harms our emotional state and, and our spiritual state. It can, it can be like a pebble in our shoe that constantly causes irritation and gets worse and worse, resentment, and unforgiveness can build up in our lives. And when there's unforgiveness, it not only hinders our relationships with other people, it also hinders our relationship with God, who's willing to forgive us, but requires that we forgive one another in order to receive his forgiveness. And offense has two sides, doesn't it? There's the side of the person who builds the, the offense, who builds the fence up, who is the offender and who, who hurts who sins against, and who harms you. And then there is the person who is offended, and they're the ones kept out of relationship or harmed by that offense. Either way, we need to be able to get over that offense. We shouldn't be building offense, but we also need to learn to climb over offense when someone offends us. Because here's the reality. You may grow offended in your life, And you might be on the other side of this fence and feel like you're boxed in, you're kept in, a relationship is harmed, you can't be effective in ministry, and you might be waiting around for someone to apologize, and you might wait an awful long time. You might wait forever holding on to that offense in your life, harmed spiritually and emotionally because you didn't know how to get over it. How long are you willing to be harmed and irritated about an offense that has happened to you rather than getting over that offense and allowing the Lord to bring healing in your, in your life. And we all need to know how to get over offense. And the reason that we need to know this is because we are bound to be offended and we're also bound to be offensive. Nobody wants this in church. Church is the last place that you want to be offended. In fact, We all come to church thinking that it's the one place 
where we won't be offended. That's what we assume. And of course, if you think about this for a moment with me, that's kind of a silly proposition, a silly thought, just on the face of it, right? The gospel is offensive. When you come to church, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, confronts your sin and says, you're a sinner who needs God's grace in order to be saved. You cannot do it on your own. That's offensive. And even as we get more mature in Christ, the gospel still confronts and offends us because God doesn't make us perfect the moment we confess faith in Christ. Instead, through a process of offending us, offending our sin, and teaching us to get over it and be healed from it, God moves us toward a completion of relationship with him and an ability to be reconciled with others as well. The gospel itself is offensive to our culture and our sin nature. So that's one way that it's kind of funny for us to think that we're gonna come to church and not be offended. But there's another way as well. When we come, we at least expect this to be the one place where we'll come, we're gonna be warmly greeted, we're gonna be accepted, we're gonna be included, we're gonna feel welcome. But there's just one problem with that assumption. We're all here, right? That's the problem. We're all present. We show up with all our baggage, we show up with our faults, and we expect others to overlook and forgive, and we're so busy being concerned with how they treated us or how they didn't treat us that we forget that they have their own baggage and they have their own faults and they have their own limitations that they're probably expecting you to overlook as well. And so what ends up happening is we offend each other and then we avoid each other and, and we are not able to cooperate in ministry together and we're not able to have peace in relationship together and that unity, or the disunity rather, that comes from offense affects the whole church, not just you and that one relationship because we're a body of Christ and when one person hurts, we all hurt. People leave the church because of what someone said to them or didn't say to them or didn't do for them. Ministry is hindered because we're preoccupied with offense. And so if you're going to participate in the body of Christ and be effective in serving others and accomplishing the ministry God gives to you, then you're going to have to learn to get over offense. And to do that, we need something. We need a ladder. In order to get over offense, you need to have a ladder. And Thankfully, I brought one. Now, I suppose you could simply climb over this short fence, but most of the offense that we're gonna face in our lives is not quite this short, is it? It doesn't seem quite so insignificant as maybe jumping over this fence. It's something that's much larger, and in order to get over it, you're gonna have to have something to enable you, something to help you. And I think that the gospel gives us some rungs to the ladder that can help us to actually get over the fence and move beyond feeling like we've been slighted, feeling like we've been abused and mistreated, and then living in that mistreatment and allow us to kind of climb this thing and get beyond it. And when I say get over it, I don't mean that that's not painful. In fact, I think you'll see by the end of this message that it's quite painful to get over offense. Not easy. I'm not saying, oh, forget it, no big deal, just get over it. I'm saying you actually do need to come and rather painfully sometimes get over the fence to move beyond to healing and what God wants to do, not only in your life, but in the partnership we have together as the church. And maybe the most important rung of this offense scaling ladder, the bottom one that gets us started, is humility. Remember, 
we're not just looking for some quick tips in this sermon series. I'm not gonna offer some nice advice about what to do when someone offends you. Rather, we're looking at the gospel. Here's what the gospel says about humility and overcoming offense. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 says this. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul was concerned that the believers should be united in love and purpose. How do you accomplish that kind of unity? You accomplish it with humility. Sometimes Offense is real sin, and we're gonna address that kind of offense in just a moment. But often, offense is just wounded pride. Someone criticizes you and you take it personally. The team doesn't use your idea, and you think that that means that they don't like you. Someone doesn't greet you in the lobby, and you assume they did it intentionally and they've got something against you. You didn't get invited. Someone didn't say thank you. You weren't recognized. Your favorite activity or ministry was changed. You weren't complimented. Someone forgot your name. And there are a whole list of other things that we take in and we make personal and we think that we have been offended. And I'm not saying that these things aren't hurtful. I'm not saying they're no big deal. I'm not saying they're always okay. What I'm saying is that when they happen, we have to respond with humility, real hard humility. Humility is not an easy thing. Paul defined humility as counting others more significant than yourself. I really like that idea for you. I do. I like that idea applied to your life. You know when it gets hard? When I have to apply it to me. When I have to count you more significant than myself. It's really nice when you apply it and count me more significant than yourself, but rubber meets road when I have to be the one who says, I have to humble myself and think of you as more significant. That means that when my instinct is to accuse someone of acting like they're superior, I should think to myself, I do consider them more important than myself, and I want to put their interests ahead of my own. It means that I can't assume people's motives when I feel slighted by them. When my idea gets overruled, humility means that I don't quit because I don't feel valued, but instead choose to continue contributing, assuming others are more valuable, but I still have something to add. Humility is a great idea until I'm the one who has to be humble. And humility isn't just a rung on a ladder for helping us to get over offense. It's also a rung in the ladder that helps us not to offend others. And I'm not talking about the offense of the gospel. The gospel is offensive, but our attitudes toward one another shouldn't be offensive. 
When we start assuming things like, this is my area, this is my ministry, this is my church, and think that that's an excuse to treat people harshly or with rudeness, when we act as if we're too important, we're too busy to be bothered, we reveal perhaps that we have not yet learned to identify with Christ in his humility because he emptied himself. And that's the only way to have real humility is through Christ. We're never gonna have the kind of humility that's necessary for us to have unity in the body of Christ unless we do it Christ's way. And that way is the cross. Notice where Jesus' humility ends. It ends with death at the cross. And this is the real hard humility God calls you and I to as well. That we humble ourselves, not a little bit, but we humble ourselves to the point of dying to self for the benefit of others. We have very little hope of actually accomplishing this, except that God has made it possible through Jesus. He said in Philippians chapter two, verse five, that this attitude, this mindset of humility is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're walking with him, then you're gonna walk in humility. And we all need to do that because none of us is gonna do it perfectly all the time. And so if we're all walking in humility, then even when one of us fails and falls and they're not humble and offends someone, the rest of us are there to show grace, not assuming the worst, but valuing even the person who was offensive as best so that we can cover one another's sins with humility and grace. The next rung up this ladder that helps us get over offense The second rung up is that you have to forgive, forgiveness. And this is related to humility. Humility teaches us that not everything that offends us means that someone has sinned against us. Sometimes it's our pride and we're the one that's been sinful and we have to humble ourselves. But other times people will actually sin against us and that sin will cause offense to be built. But even though people, even people in the church, even church people, will do things that are actually sinful to us, we can get over that offense with forgiveness. And before forgiveness is a feeling, it's an act of your will. It's a decision to follow Jesus. You won't always feel like forgiving. In fact, I would venture that most of the time when you need to forgive, you will not feel like forgiving. You'll often feel rather like you should get even with the person, and you will attempt to justify your unforgiveness. You'll say to yourself that the person who hurt me isn't even sorry about what they did. You'll say that they should have known better. You'll say that Christians should be better than this and that this shouldn't happen in the church. People shouldn't gossip and slander about one another. They shouldn't be competing and putting each other down. They shouldn't exclude or act on selfish ambition. And you know what? You're right. They shouldn't. We shouldn't be doing those things. We should know better. We want to walk in love and the power of the Holy Spirit, but we fall short of doing that all the time. And it seems that when many people come to church, they come just as they are. I come just as I am, right? We like that idea. 
I'm going to come to church. I don't have to try to fix myself totally first to be received by Christ or to be received by his people, the church. That's wonderful. But you know what? Sometimes those of us who we come just as we are, we seem to forget that there are a lot of other people here who have come just as they are. And when we get a bunch of people together who have come just as they are, and we are all still learning to be like Jesus, we end up sinning against each other. And we end up offending each other. But you can't be part of a church and expect others to forgive your imperfections when you are unwilling to forgive theirs. And when I say imperfections, I mean when they sin against you. And that's hard. Nobody ever said forgiveness is easy. If it was easy, God wouldn't have sent Jesus to the cross. Notice that is the example of what it takes to forgive. To forgive is to die. And so if it was easy, Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross. But Colossians 3, 12 to 13 tells us that we can motivate our own forgiveness like this. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And by complaint, it doesn't mean, oh, your breath stinks. It means like, you did something sinful to me. And he says, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. When we're feeling defensive, it's easy to forget that we need forgiveness too, isn't it? When we've been offended and we're feeling offensive and we've put up a fence so that people can't get in and hurt us anymore, it's easy to forget I needed someone to forgive me as well. But this is what Paul reminds us of. He reminds us that God in Christ has forgiven us. And what did he do to forgive us? He sent Jesus to die on the cross. Sometimes the offense is gonna be straightforward sin. Someone acted against you in a way that they just shouldn't have. And even then, you have to forgive. Forgiveness isn't saying nothing happened. It's not pretending like it's no big deal, that it didn't hurt, that nothing needs to change. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is love covering sin. Forgiveness is entrusting justice to God. And for the Christian, forgiveness is faith. It's faith that the death of Christ not only covers what I've done to others, but what they do to me. Think about that for a moment. That means that Failure to forgive others shows a distrust in the gospel. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, you can't be forgiven? It's not because forgiveness is a work that you must do. It's because if I believe that God forgives sin, but he only forgives up to a point, he only forgives up to where people have harmed me and then that's, that's too far, then I don't really believe the gospel at all, do I? I don't really have faith that God can forgive sin because my own sin has caused pain and hurt others and I wanna believe God can forgive that but if I believe God can forgive the sin that I've done to others that hurts them and causes offense to them then I also have to believe that he can forgive the sin that they have done to me and that hurts me and has caused offense against me and this is why Jesus says you wanna be forgiven, you have to forgive not because it's a work you muster up inside yourself, but because it's evidence that you actually believe God forgives all the way up to even the things that people have done to you and hurt you with. And of course, reconciliation requires more than forgiveness. To bring two people back into relationship requires repentance. 
And this doesn't mean that you hold on to a grudge until someone repents or apologizes. For your part as a Christian, your job is to hold out forgiveness and say, it is here whenever you want it. To release in attitude and in heart what that person has done and to hold out the opportunity and offer of forgiveness. But listen, when God offers you forgiveness, it's not automatic, is it? You come to him and you repent of sin. And when you repent and believe the gospel, you're forgiven. So too, you can't receive forgiveness from someone until there's a recognition of what's been done wrong. And so for your part as a Christian, as you're thinking about how do I, how do I get over offense, you can't make people recognize they're wrong, you can't make them repent, and you shouldn't keep holding on to it until they do. But what you can do is just hold out that forgiveness and say, I'm, I'm ready. Whenever you're willing, I am ready to forgive you. I am ready when you come to repent to say it is forgiven. That's not to shame them. That's not to try to hold something over them or against them. It is just to say in your heart and your attitude, you're saying, I'm ready and willing to forgive. So if you're the one who has offended someone else, what's that gonna require of you? It means you have to crucify your pride, ask for forgiveness, and then receive the forgiveness that's being offered. And when that happens, real reconciliation is possible and you get over a fence, you climb the fence. Sometimes forgiveness is difficult because the offended person is willing, but the offender, the person who's sinned, isn't receiving that. Maybe that person doesn't even realize how they've sinned against you, and this represents the next rung on this ladder. Jesus described a situation like this in Matthew chapter 18. He said this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Sometimes you'll need to confront sin. And this is the third rung on this ladder to get over a fence. You need to confront it. I'm not talking about being judgmental and petty. This isn't a license to go around confronting everybody about what you think they're doing wrong in their lives or something like that. It is if they have sinned against you, not violated your preferences, but they have done something against you that the Bible marks out as sin. Maybe it's gossip or slander. Maybe it's a pattern of rude or harsh behavior and criticism. Maybe they took something that belonged to you and they haven't returned it. And we know the kinds of things the Bible lists as sin and how people can sin against us. That's what we're talking about. It could be that they said something to embarrass you or acted with pride by excluding you. Jesus said, in order to get over that offense, you should go to them personally and tell them what they've done wrong. The next step would be to take it to two or th- to take one or two others with you to confront the offense. Notice, tellingly, Jesus does not include the most common step we take when we are offended. What's the most common step we take? We go immediately to one, two, three, four other people, and we talk about the person and about the offense. Rather than going directly to the offender and saying this is what's been done, even though they may not even realize it or know it yet, we go and we talk about the offense to other people. That's kind of glaringly missing in how Jesus teaches us to deal with offense, isn't it? He doesn't say go talk about offense. He says go and talk to your brother or to your sister. 
Sometimes people are not actually addressing offense when they think they are. They're talking about offense. They should be addressing the offender. They're just talking about what's going on. And that only serves to make defense taller and taller. But that's not gonna solve anything. All it accomplishes is making people mad. But we have to admit it's much easier, it's much, much less awkward to go into talk to several people that you're pretty sure ahead of time are gonna take your side anyway, right? I got my friends, I'm pretty sure they're gonna see it my way. I'm only gonna tell my side of the story. I'm gonna go and talk to them and they're gonna go, yeah, you're right. You have every right to be mad at that person. You have every right to be offended. Man, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And maybe that person doesn't even know they've sinned against you or done anything wrong to you. But that's where we like to begin this process and that's easier. But what's much more effective isn't easy. Because what's much more effective and what Jesus tells us to do is to actually go to the person who's offended us and to let them know how they have offended us. And when offense rises to the level of sin and the sinner doesn't recognize the offense, you go to them personally. And I think that if we all handled more situations like this, the need for expanding that circle to one, two, three others, for bringing in offense to the whole church, the need for, exp for expanding the number of people involved in the situation would probably be pretty rare. I think gossip would shrink. I think slander would have a hard time finding a corner to live in if we addressed the person who actually offended us rather than just talking about them. So here's a simple question to ask. Have you talked to the person who sinned against you? Not have you talked about the person who sinned against you, but have you talked to the person who sinned against you? That's awkward. Maybe if we use that as a litmus test for offense, we would find that far fewer things that we find or we think of as offending are actually sin. And what we need to do is humbly get over it by overlooking it. As Proverbs 17, 9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And when it is a sin, we would be led toward reconciliation rather than building the offense by becoming offenders ourselves and sinning against that person. Because isn't that what's happening? When someone sins against us and then we go and talk about them behind their backs, are we not simply sinning against them? And so the problem hasn't been solved, it's been doubled. Now who's gonna confront whom? How are you gonna go and, and go to a brother and say, you've sinned against me when you just did the same thing to him? How's that offense? How are you gonna get over that offense? It's gonna take more humility and a lot more death to self then. And so the answer is to start with, if I've got an issue, I should address it with you and not with other people who I'm gonna to talk to you about. Finally, to get over offense, the first rung, humility. The second rung, forgiveness. The third rung, biblical confrontation when it's necessary. And the final rung is gentleness. You have to be gentle. And when we read about gentleness in the Bible, it doesn't mean weakness, it doesn't be, mean being indirect or avoiding conflict. Gentleness is an application of love. It's doing things in a way that tries to avoid unnecessarily hurting and offending people. 1 Corinthians 13.5 tells us that the kind of love we should have as believers in Jesus is not rude, it, it does not insist on its own way, and it is not irritable or resentful. Rude, Irritable, resentful people build offense. They're offended by everything, and they tend to offend other people along the way. They often excuse their rude, 
irritable behavior by saying something like, that's just the way I am, or I just tell it like it is, or that's just the Northeastern in me coming out. And you could insert other kinds of regions or ethnicities there, like that's just the Irish in me, or that's just the Latina in me, or whatever it is. You could insert those things, and it becomes an excuse for being resentful and irritable or offensive in how you deal with other people. But I guess that as I read the Bible, I missed the verse that says, you don't need to be gentle if rude and irritable is just the way you are. In fact, what I thought I read was, if rude and irritable is just the way you are, you need to find a place at the cross of Jesus and die to that. That's what I thought I read when I read through the Bible. And so this is not an excuse for us to say, you know what, it's just, I, it's just me, it's just how I am, I just gotta let that steam off, it's just my ethnicity, it's just my background. Sure, it was, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified, so don't make that an excuse in your life. Instead, the love of God would lead us to diffuse offensive situations when possible. Instead of saying, I just tell it like it is, Proverbs 15, one says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Usually when somebody says, I just tell it like it is, they've used a harsh word and they're excusing themselves. Instead of, that's just the way I am, James 1, 19 to 20 teaches, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you're humble and gentle, you're willing to overlook offense, you don't take yourself so seriously. Have you ever thought about people who are irritable and resentful? I think one of the primary problems they have is they take themselves way too seriously. I mean, I think it starts with the bottom ladder uh, on rung of humility, that they are not thinking of other people as being more serious, more important than themselves. They think that they are so serious, nobody ever looks sideways at them, because if they do, you have, you've, dim, you've diminished my stature, you've offended my pride, I have, to, I have to defend my honor now. No, 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 you just take yourself way too seriously, but Proverbs 19.11 teaches, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Some things just aren't worth bringing up, embarrassing someone over, or making a big deal out, out of. And gentleness and humility will enable us to overlook petty things for the sake of unity. And sometimes we'll even have to overlook what we hear people are saying about us. This is an important lesson for us to learn about humility and about overlooking offense, and about gentleness. Because everyone from time to time hears that someone's talking about them. Every once in a while I get wind that someone has said something about me or accused me of something. Somebody will come and say, so and so is saying that you don't care enough about the cross. You're not preaching enough about the cross. Or you don't, you don't care about children. Or, or you, don't, you, don't, you, don't like, you don't like young people or something like that. And they'll, they'll all, they're talking, I hear, they're talking about me like that. And at those moments, I really wanna be offended. I really wanna chase this down, find out who it is, and deal with it right now. And then I remember Ecclesiastes 7, 21 to 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. This isn't talking about swearing or magic, you know, magic curses, black magic. It's talking about don't take to heart everything you hear when somebody's speaking ill of you because you know, you know, you've spoken evil and ill of other people before as well. It's not, it's, 
gossip and slander. And when we're walking in love and gentleness, we won't have to chase down everything that's said about us because we just don't take ourselves that seriously. We'll learn to overlook much offense because we recognize we need, to, we need others to overlook the offense that we cause. Our demeanor toward one another should be gentle, not unwilling to budge, not insisting on our own ways or thinking that a harsh, critical attitude toward a brother or sister is justified. Gentleness in the manner we respond and relate to each other is necessary, not just to protect the weak feelings of someone else, but because we are imitating our heavenly Father. Imagine for a moment with me if God the Father was not gentle with us. Imagine if he was as direct as he could be regarding your sin. You would not be able to stand it. I wouldn't be able to stand it. Imagine if he brought up every sin and offense in your life all at the same time, the minute you got saved. All right, buddy, here's everything that you've done wrong. Here's everything that you've got to fix. You would be unable to bear that weight. But he doesn't, does he? He begins to slowly help us to die to self over the course of time as he sanctifies us by the Holy Spirit. So should we not have the same gentleness and grace with one another, recognizing you're weak, I'm weak, and our love for one another covers a multitude of sin and weakness in us. If you've not yet realized it, the ladder that I've been talking about this morning, the ladder that's built to get over a fence is nothing other than the cross of Jesus Christ. We are not called upon to exercise any old kind of humility. We're called upon to exercise the humility of Jesus that he displayed when he emptied himself of the privileges of heaven and came to die for our sin. We're not asked to exercise ordinary human forgiveness just for the sake of preserving peace, but we're asked to exercise the kind of forgiveness that Jesus exercised when he went to the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus' demand is not that we exercise the love of this world, which is self-seeking and self-gratifying, but the kind of love that he first described and then he lived, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And the unity that we ought to have with one another, unity that sometimes requires loving confrontation, so that there can be reconciliation, is none other than the unity that Jesus has with the Father. John 17 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That unity with one another and with God the Father only comes because of the reconciliation that we have gained through the cross of Jesus. Jesus and his cross are the latter that help us overcome offense. And faith in his life, death, resurrection, faith that includes following him is that ladder. And so I would say to you again and submit to you that the ladder that will help us to overcome offense, when I say get over it, I mean that with all seriousness, but I don't mean it with casualness. I don't mean, ah, just get over it. No, what I mean is that God has made the way for you to get over it, and it was a very costly way. It was the cross of Jesus Christ, but guess what? When you come to the cross, what happens there? You know, a lot of Christians, a lot of people, they think that when they come to the cross, what happens there is they look up and they see Jesus there, and they say, thanks, Jesus, for doing that, and then they walk off the other direction. 
But that's not how Jesus described the cross. He put it this way, whoever wants to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He said that we have to die to ourselves. And so our understanding of what happens to the cross, at the cross should look something more like this. Jesus put the cross there so that I could get over a fence. But when I get to the cross, Jesus doesn't look down at me and go, okay, thanks for coming. He says, okay, join me here. And there I die. I die to myself and my pride and my, my offense. And I die so that I can get over that offense. But I don't just die so that I can get over the offense that I have against others. Perhaps more importantly, I die so that I can get over the offense that is between God and I. You see, not everyone who claims the title Christian has climbed that ladder. Some people claim a title. They were told by their parents when they were growing up. They asked them one day, what's our religion? They said, well, we're, we're Christian. We're Catholic. And so they, yeah, I'm Christian. I'm Catholic, whatever. They were in a service and they raised their hand. It seemed like a good thing to do, but there was not really any meat to it. No real understanding of what was going on, what it means to be a Christian. But to be a Christian means very literally that you follow Christ. That's really... All that it means is that you follow Christ, and since Christ laid down his life, to follow him means you must as well. And it's remarkable that people are often so easily offended, but many of those same people who are so offended about what others do to them don't think God has any reason to be offended at them. They don't think that God should be offended by them. They believe that they have every right to be angry with how they've been treated, how others have hurt them and offended them and sinned against them, and if given the opportunity, they'd get even with those people. And at the same time, they somehow manage to believe that God should not be offended with him, though they ignore him, they violate his moral law, they reject his design and creation, they scorn the love that he offers, and in other words, they sin against him and offend him in the strongest sense. Their offense is no petty irritant. It is the very denial of who he is, that he is God. But then they want to slap a title and some religious jargon on their lives and say, I'm a Christian. God will not accept that. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Your offense against him cannot be gotten over so easily as you changing your title. He sent his son to demonstrate his love for you when he died on the cross, and that cross is the only way that you can be right with God. And the cross is not just something that you believe. It is a place where you come, it is a place where you die, and it is a place where after you've died, God raises you again to new life. You die to your sin, you die to yourself by faith in Christ, and when you do, you discover that not only have you died with him, you've been raised with him to new life, no longer to live in the life of offense and sin against God, which you once lived, but now to live in a life in which you know his grace and you're walking in it. The barrier of your sin stands between you and God, and there is no way for you to climb that fence. Your offense against God is too great, but God is love, and so he made a ladder out of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and you can be reconciled with God today. You can get over that offense because of what God has done, but what it means is this. It means that you come to the cross, you realize I've sinned against God, you die there, and you let God give you new life 
life through Jesus. You come submit yourself and say, God, I've done wrong. I need to die to this selfish, sinful life of denial against you. And instead, I need new life that can come only from you. I'm gonna ask if you'd close your eyes for just a moment because I wanna ask you to respond in this way. Perhaps you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Maybe you've even called yourself a Christian. You've taken up that label. That's what your parents told you you were. Maybe you raised a hand one time in church and and so you thought you prayed the prayer and that's great, but you recognize there's never been a moment where I thought I gotta come to the cross and die to myself. This is what God requires for salvation is that I come and confess my sin and and die to my old life and understand that he has given me new life. What, What God wants is not to just clean me up a little bit, but he wants to make me totally new. And to be new means I've got to die to all the old stuff, to all the old sin, to all the old offense that I might be raised up with new life in Christ. God sent his son Jesus to be a demonstration of his love for you today so that you might know through the preaching of this good news that though you've sinned against God, he loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you and he wants to give you new life today. But he does not give new life on your terms. He gives new life only on his terms. And the terms are this, faith in Christ. And faith means you come to the foot of the cross. You die there and you're raised to new life through Jesus' life. If you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, if all you've got is a label, if all you've got is I thought I was raised in a Christian country, if all you've got is they told me I was baptized when I was an infant, if all you've got is my parents said I was Christian when I was growing up, if all you've got is your hope that God will just overlook your offense, even though you won't overlook the offenses of others against you, if that's all you've got today, I'm here to tell you there's something much more you can have. You can have real relationship with God through Jesus, forgiveness of your sins, and new life if you believe in him. So today I'm not asking you to merely pray a prayer, I'm asking you to come to the cross and die. I know that you can't do that physically here today. We wouldn't ask you to. But in order for you to respond in some way, I'm gonna ask you to do something simple but bold, and it's not this response or this action that saves you. It's not a prayer that will pray that saves you. It's Jesus who saves you as you put your faith in him and you die to self by faith in Jesus and live in him. If you don't have that kind of relationship with God through Jesus, and you know there's a fence between you and God, and you can't get over it except through the cross, and today you wanna receive the forgiveness God offers, die to self and be made new in him. I'm gonna ask you to do this. Would you just stand up right where you are? That's you. You don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. You don't have the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins. You might have a title, but you don't know, I've died to self through faith in Jesus. And I'm living a new life in him. Is there anybody else like that? I'm gonna wait for just a moment because I don't want to miss you and I don't want you to miss it. That's you. You don't have that relationship with God through genuine faith. You've never come to the cross. Would you just stand? Would you come today? I'm going to pray. My words don't save you. Jesus saves you. I just want to help you express your faith in Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name, and I recognize that I'm a sinner. I know there's a great offense that stands between you and I, and I know that it's because of what I've done. I've not recognized you. I've not lived for you. I've sinned against your goodness, your holiness. I've sinned against your ways in this world. 
and I pray that you would forgive me. Lord, I know there's no way for me to just make it all go away, but I thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that I could die to it all and it would be gone, buried, and I could be raised to a completely new life, born again. Today I ask you, please forgive me. I come to you, Jesus, to die, but I also come to live. Would you make me new in you today that I might know what it means to be a new creation, to be made new in Jesus. I thank you for that. I love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, would you just rejoice with me for a moment? For those who responded here in person or online. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, we rejoice in you. We thank you that you've made this way. Thank you, Lord. Believe it, I want to talk to you for just a moment. I want to talk to you about coming to the cross. The ladder uh, to get over a fence for our lives as believers is no less demanding. It's still the cross. Getting over a fence in the Christian way is to go to the cross and to die to yourself. To get over the offense in your life, you give up the right to think you're always right. You give up the right to assume that you're the most important. You give, up the, you give up the right to hold on to a grudge. You die to yourself and lose the excuse that this is just the way you are. So I want to ask you this. Are there offenses in your life right now that you know there's a fence between me and somebody else? There's an offense in my life, and it needs to be addressed by dying at the cross. The cross is a humbling and humiliating place. Maybe you need to humble yourself. The cross is a place of forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? The cross is where sin is confronted. Who are you talking about rather than talking to? The cross is a place of love. To whom do you need to express the gentleness of that love? Now, I know that this could be awkward, but I'm just gonna ask because I have a feeling that in a room with this many people in it, there's more than one that has some offense that has come to mind today, some area of unforgiveness, somebody who you know you're just, you're angry with, you're mad at, you, they've offended you and you've been holding on to that and you need to come to the foot of the cross and die to that again today. This morning the response I'm asking for is not a confession that you're the worst person in the world and you're the worst sinner in the room. I'm not asking. I'm asking you to do what we all must do, what I do when I grow offended with somebody. I have to come to the cross and say, Jesus, this is probably more my pride than it is any real sin against me. Or where it has been real sin, deal with the actual sin and not just talk about the sinner. If that's you today, you've harbored unforgiveness, you've harbored offense, I don't want you to walk out of here with that. So I want to make opportunity. Would you just come to the foot of the cross? Would you get out of your seat and come and find a place of prayer for just a moment? This isn't to be shameful to you. It's not a confession that you're the worst. It's just a confession that I need the cross to help me to overcome offense, to help me to forgive, to help me to move past and overcome, to get over the offense in my life. If that's you, there's somebody that's come to mind this morning as I've been preaching, and you know they offended me. Their, their face came into your imagination as I spoke about offense. Would you come? Pastors, deacons and deaconesses, prayer partners, would you come and just begin to pray for people as they're seeking this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for the cross of Jesus Christ 
Lord, it's a painful place, but it's a place of healing at the same time. Lord, it's a place where our, our pride is crushed and yet it's a place where humility and love grows. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us this place where we can be made right with you and with one another. Lord, we pray that you would help us as the body of, of believers to be able to walk with humility that finds us consistently at the foot of the cross that finds us consistently coming and saying the offenses that we have, the sins that we have against one another, we are dying to these things because we recognize the cross lets us do it. That where before we thought we had to defend our own honor, we had to get all up in arms, we had to be, we had to be defensive with people, we had to be cut off from people, we thought that was our protection, that that was our hope, that the cross has revealed to us and is still revealing to us that our protection and our hope does not lie in our ability to build walls but in our ability to come to you by faith and die to self and get over those walls through the cross of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us more and more. Father, we are a needy people. We are a people that need forgiveness, who need others to overlook our faults, to show us grace when, we are, when we're offensive. Help us at the same time, Lord to be able to extend that grace, to extend that forgiveness. We know, Lord, that it doesn't come naturally to us, but it comes as we die to self and we live through you. Teach us, Lord, to do that better and better, more and more, not in our power, but in the power of the Spirit applied at the foot of the cross. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for that. I wanna encourage you to Continue to pray as long as you desire. I'm going to dismiss. If you need to go, you certainly can. You're welcome to stay and pray. Please go if you would, just quietly and respectfully of those who are going to be praying here. And we're just going to dismiss in that fashion. We'll see you again on Wednesday as we gather again for prayer. Go in God's grace and His peace.